Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We are ranking the eight wildcard teams that play this weekend in terms of their likelihood to win the Super Bowl. We gave you the bottom four, as it were. Prior, we will get to the top four and the most likely wildcard team to win a Super Bowl in just a bit. But if you are wondering... On this wildcard Friday, what the most important position was on the football field in terms of getting into the playoffs and having a shot? Well, wonder no longer because PFF breaks that down perfectly. Nine of the top 10 graded quarterbacks, according to Pro Football Focus, are in the postseason. Nine of 10, clearly the most important position on the football field. Not so much as the top four running backs missed out on the postseason. Let's talk about that with Sam Monson, our good friend from PFF.com. Check them out. Best NFL analysis anywhere out there. Sam, good to see you. Happy Friday. It's Dave Briggs. It's Ross Tucker. Um, The most surprising thing about the nine of 10 highest graded quarterbacks on PFF is number one. What is Ryan Tannehill doing that's made him so successful in going seven and three? I mean, he is playing at a phenomenal level right now. I think everybody expects this Ryan Tannehill thing to to fizzle out and to stop going so well, but it hasn't yet. It's it's crazy. Ryan Tannehill is playing the best football of his career. Um, he's playing the best football of anybody in the NFL right now. Really, the only gripe you could have about what he is doing is he's taking too many sacks. You know, that's it's one of the things that quarterbacks do that doesn't necessarily show up. Um, in the box score or in, in overall performance, but quarterbacks control how much they get sacked more than pretty much anything else. And it, honestly, it's it's probably a bigger factor than how good the offensive line in front of them is, as, as crazy as it is to say. So Ryan Tannehill needs to be careful with how much of a problem he's causing himself by taking those sacks. But in terms of just passing the ball, getting it deep down the field, he's been accurate. He's been making big time throws. He's been taking care of the football. He's been playing like a top quarterback. Sam, let me just start by saying I love you. Uh, that <laughs> that is how that is how you start an interview. Okay. It's nice. Thank you. Finally, somebody points out that the quarterbacks have a lot to do with sacks. Thank you. Can't tell you how many years it's taken us to get to this point where people actually realize that. There's no doubt quarterbacks have more to do with sacks than any other position. It's then offensive line after that, but then even after that, there's running backs, there's receivers. So thank you for that. My question with Tannehill is this. You guys have been grading him every play for a long time now at Pro Football Focus. So are you able to decipher... How much of it is improved performance from Tannehill versus how much of it is the guys like Arthur Smith in Tennessee 
putting him in much better chances to succeed than Adam Gase did in Miami. Like when you guys are doing your grades, how are you able to, and maybe you're not, to kind of decipher how much of it is this guy is being put in a much better chance and a much better position to succeed? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some of that that you can do. Um, the problem is you're talking about small sample sizes, right? So it's very difficult to draw definitive conclusions. But you can start to look at things like, you know, how many times is he targeting receivers that are wide open? Because most of the time when guys are wide open, it's not actually um, the receiver winning one-on-one -on -one and just beating his guy by five yards. Scheme has got a lot to do with it. You know, they're able to get, they're able to, to break receivers open and the quarterback hits those guys. So the greater percentage of throws that are to wide open targets, the greater the impact the offensive scheme, coaching, the play design is having. And you tend to see, you know, Andy Reid teams are always at the top of the list when it comes to percentage of open throws because Andy Reid's scheme is one of the toughest in the NFL for defenses to cope with and to, to keep tight coverage in all these receivers. So, you know, I think you can look at Tannehill's season and say there's definitely something to the fact that he's being put in a better position to succeed. But also, I think the last few years in Miami were not where his baseline should have been. You know, earlier in his career, he graded very well for us. Um, there was a period where he looked like he would be the second best quarterback from that 2012 draft class. You know, you think Andrew Luck, RG3, Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, Nick Foles. Tannehill looked like he might be the second best guy from that class for a period. And then injuries, the wheels fell off in Miami and the, the whole thing just went south. But he's got talent. And I think now we're seeing that, you know, his talent He's probably playing at an unsustainably high level. He'll come back down to earth at some point. But you add that to the fact that he's being put in a better situation. He now has elite wide receivers like A.J. Brown. Um, and suddenly everything looks fantastic. Uh, number two graded quarterback on pro football focus is a tie. It's Russell Wilson and it's Drew Brees. And it's an interesting poll, Sam, that WIP Sports Radio in Philly had. What quarterback would you rather have, Russell Wilson or Carson Wentz? Perhaps no surprise that Philly took Wentz 69 to 31. How big a quarterback mismatch is Russell Wilson versus Carson Wentz? And how do you expect it to play out? Well, I think the big difference between the two is consistency, particularly this season. You know, Russell Wilson, honestly, they're, they're kind of alike in terms of the inconsistency has been each guy's biggest problem throughout their career. Russell Wilson has always been an excellent quarterback, but he tends to have games where it just doesn't happen and he struggles. And this year he hasn't really had any of those. Even the games where his numbers don't look as strong, his PFF grade has been good. It's more a case of you know, teams have figured out how the offense overall functions, and they've either been able to limit the number of passes Wilson has or shut it down from the other end. So receivers have made mistakes. Coverage has come up big. But Wilson has played well all the way through the year. Carson Wentz, obviously, he's been dealing with the fact that he just doesn't have any bodies left. You know, he's dealing with former AAF receivers as his number one wideout. He's down to his second tight end as his number one target. He just doesn't have any bodies remaining, and yet he's still been able to make some plays. Um, but again, with him, it's there's just too many routine plays that he leaves out there on the field to match the level that Wilson's at. I think talent-wise, there's not much between them, but Wilson's just got it in a much better place right now than Wentz has. 
All right, Sam, uh, it kind of gets back to the question I asked earlier. Do you guys do coaching grades? I mean, I know you evaluate every player on every play. Do you guys have coaching grades as well? So we don't actually grade coaches right now, but what we are doing is working on – so I was talking about this this morning, right? Bills fans hate us right now because we don't actually grade that many of their players well. But the defense overall is playing extremely well. They're obviously they're in the playoffs, so all the Bills fans think things are going great. But the PFF grades don't actually rate their players particularly highly. So the narrative out there amongst the Bills mafia is that we hate the Bills. But the point we're making is that a lot of the times when there's a discrepancy between PFF grades and the overall output of a unit, the difference between the two is explained by coaching. Um, and that applies to defense. It applies to quarterbacks a lot. So when we don't grade a guy particularly well, but he's putting up crazy good numbers, usually the answer is that the scheme is doing something pretty special to make that guy look better than he's actually playing. Um, so that kind of thing, you can start to quantify the impact that coaching has. And our data science guys out here, Eric Eager and George Shahuri, they're doing a lot of work in terms of putting that into a metric and, and firmly quantifying the impact that coaches have. And this is one of the things we're shipping over to NFL front offices to, to actually give them a kind of scorecard on how their coaches are performing from a schematic point of view. All right. So then it's interesting. You, what you said about the Bills kind of was another thing I wanted to ask. Do you guys in any way compile all the grades, right? So let's say, you know, each team has about 30 guys that get on the field, a bunch of snaps, right? This is just an idea I have, Sam. Like, I would like to know where do all these guys grade out? And because if you add up all the grades, the higher the number, the worse, right? Like the higher the number, the worse the team should be. The lower the number, the better the team should be. It sounds like the Bills would be pretty high, even though they've had a nice year. Yeah, I mean, we have a couple of different ways of applying the grades to team level stuff. You know, we have a composite team grade and that, that's broken down by facet, whether it's coverage, run defense, passing offense, all that kind of thing. But then we also have, you know, team level specific data that we use in our ELO rankings that factors in strength of competition, all that kind of stuff. And, and that goes into to our green line model and sort of powers the, the betting stuff that we have. But I, we have a couple of different ways of measuring team performance above and beyond kind of just uh, aggregating the, the grades of all the individual players. But I, I think it's definitely true that when you, when there's a big discrepancy between how the grading of all these individual players um, how that adds up and the actual performance of a unit, you know, based on conventional statistical measures like, you know, yards per play, all that kind of thing. And there's a big difference between those two. There's something more at work than just, well, PFF's wrong about this. There's another factor that, that's missing and it's, it's coaching, it's scheme. It's, you know, those kinds of things that go into this. And so therein lies my question about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he is currently your number eight graded quarterback. Um, but I'm seeing a guy who is nowhere near the Aaron Rodgers that I've come to expect. 27 to 55 last week, Sam. And he's 54% completion in the last three weeks. I know. They've got a bye. 13 wins. They've won five in a row. I just don't see it in Aaron Rodgers. 
what are you seeing in the tape that justifies that number eight number and works against the 54% he's completing in recent games? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is Aaron Rodgers at his best is number one, you know, so he's coming down a long mm. way from where he was at his best. He is a phenomenally talented quarterback. When he was playing at his best, he was the best quarterback in the game. So for him to fall all the way to number eight is a significant drop. The second thing is that number is 16 games in the season, right? So yeah. he's been heading down over the last few weeks because of those past few weeks' performances. He's definitely sinking rather than rising up those rankings. And then the last point is, certainly last week, his aggressiveness, which has been the big criticism of Rodgers, is he makes a lot of throws down the field, but they're not dangerous. He doesn't tend to target the middle of the field very often. He doesn't put the ball in harm's way. And it sort of inflates some of his numbers, the, the touchdown to interception stuff, because he's not taking the risks that some of these other quarterbacks take. Last week, he was just airing it out. Like, he had 17 attempts that were 20-plus yards down the field, I think, which is, I think, the most we've ever charted in a game. Like, he was just out there slinging the ball down the field. And when you do that, obviously, your completion rate falls off a cliff. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure it was a bad thing, to be honest, because it's been one of the mm. criticisms of him that he hasn't been that aggressive. So, you know, I think there's a few things rolled in there, but Rodgers definitely is not the player he used to be question really is whether he can ever get back to that point all right so sam dave and i are right in the middle of ranking the eight teams here in wild card weekend from least likely to most likely to actually get to the super bowl so we're going about it a little bit differently we know that no team playing in wild card weekend has gotten there since 2012, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. We are about halfway through. I'm sure you don't have all eight of them, you know, lined up. But off the top of your head, the teams playing this weekend, who are the two or three that you could maybe see getting to the Super Bowl? And the two or three where it's like there is no way in hell those guys are getting to the Super Bowl. I mean, I think New Orleans has a really good shot. They have a pretty good argument to be seen as the best team in the NFC total. They they were one of those few teams that were going for the number one seed right up till week 17. And ultimately, they end up playing on wildcard weekend. I think that's the clearest victory of this weekend as well. I think they should beat the Minnesota Vikings fairly handily. Um, so I think the Saints have a real good shot to go through to the Super Bowl. They also, depending on how the other games fall, you know, over the next couple of weeks, they can end up hosting games as well. And, and that's a huge thing for their chances, obviously. Um, in the AFC, I, you know, I don't think that most of those AFC teams um, have a real shot of going through. I think the Patriots have the pedigree, um, but they they just don't seem like the same unit before, as they um, as they have in the past. I don't know that the Titans can make that kind of run. And then the Buffalo-Houston, same thing. I'm just not sure either of those teams can make the run. I think if you're going to get these teams going to the Super Bowl, it's going to come from the NFC side. Um, the Saints would be my favorite. And then I think the Seahawks, if they get healthy enough, are capable of making a run. I love that prediction, Sam Monson. Pro Football Focus with us. Check them out, pff.com. Uh, before you go, Sam, interesting story I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Jenny McCarthy, you remember her, she revealed that her husband, Donnie Wahlberg, left a 2000 
20, as in 2020, $2,020 tip for an IHOP server in honor of this new year, 2020, which gets us to the question, Sam, what type of tipper are you? Are you a standard 20% guy? And at a place like Starbucks, at a place like Panera, how about Chinese takeout? What's your mentality tipping if you're not at a sit-down restaurant? Well, here's the thing, right? So I come from Ireland where it's not as strong a tipping culture, right? We don't tip for that many things. A meal out, you tip. Over here, obviously, it's way different. So I have this, like, inbuilt concern that I'm not tipping enough. So I tend to over-tip places. I, I, I'm, like, 25% is my sort of baseline. And then... Typically, I'm, I'm like tipping places where I'm not sure if I'm supposed to tip. My default is always to, to be safe, right? I wanna, just so I'm not wrong. I like that, Sam. So here's my question. So I'm a, Dave and I will talk about this a little bit later. I'm typically like a 20% guy, primarily because it's just easier math-wise. <laughs> Just it's easier for me to it's easier for me to figure out what 10% is and then double it. Like I don't I, I wouldn't like who does 18% or 22%? Like it's just easier to do 20%. But you said Ireland, not a big tipping culture. So like what does that mean? You don't you don't like when you get a meal, do people still tip 20%? Do you not tip when you get a pint in the pub? What's going on? Yeah, so like a meal is the the only real place you would tip in Ireland. Um, and then, then this tip is basically dependent on the service. You know, if you have good service, you tip well. If you have crappy service, you don't tip well. Um, no, I mean, you, you don't really tip uh, bar staff. You don't really tip, you know, it, it's just not, it, it doesn't permeate the same way as it does in the States because, you know, there's a reasonably healthy uh, minimum wage. Waiters are... It's not like it's the best job in the world, but those guys aren't, aren't reliant on tips to survive. Interesting discussion and one we will continue later in the program. And then you involve the whole holidays thing. You got to tip your garbage man, your mailman, your hairdresser, and all that. It gets confusing and annoying. Not a Sam Monson. Oh, not a problem for you, brother. Uh, enjoy the wildcard weekend. Check out pff.com. Always appreciate the time, Sam. And and don't worry about those Bills haters. They'll come around. They, maybe they like that role anyway. They like the anger and the hatred. That's uh, entirely possible. <laughs> the number <laughs> one haters of Sam Monson right now, the Bills Mafia. Appreciate that. Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.